you understand that as much as I want to deal with Romans chapter 4 today as I have been doing, I so also will proceed to do with this chapter. I'm going in overview mode. I don't purpose to look at every verse. I don't purpose to look at every word. I don't really even purpose to look at every item of argument that Paul brings forth here in his overall argument of the book of Romans. I'm trying to gather together the overall flow in a broad sense of the book of Romans. If we can comprehend this, understand this, pack this away, if we can believe this, the heart of the Gospel is here. Those truths that are most essential to Christianity are found here. Basically, in an outline form, we have about half a chapter of introduction in the book of Romans. Right as you come to Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And he says there, in verse 17, for it, the Gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Why? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And he says, even as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That is his opening statement and he rushes in to tell about this righteousness of God that is at the heart of the Gospel. And what he does is he takes 63 verses right at that moment, beginning in chapter 1, verse 18, and he deals with, for 63 verses, the universal depravity of mankind. Why? To show, to prove, to make the case for the necessity of this righteousness of God. That we are all unrighteous. And if we will ever be right with God, it must come from a righteousness outside of ourselves. That is why he lays down for 63 verses all the way from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, a case for all men being under sin. But what I want you guys to see is... The broader argument here, the broader case being made is one for justification by faith. That's what this righteousness of God is. It's a righteousness that comes outside of us, imputed to us. It's for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Is a case of justification by faith. Paul argues this all the way from chapter 1 through the end of chapter 5. As he comes to the end of chapter 5, he throws out this whole thing. Justification is so free. 
It's so much a gift. This righteousness that comes from God by faith is so freely given. It is so without cause in you that no matter how great your sin is, the more sinner you are, the greater the load of sin you have, the more that grace abounds. And so no matter if you have the sin of a five-year-old or you have the sin of a prostitute who's worked the streets for 40 years, the grace of God is sufficient. The righteousness of God that is given to those who believe is sufficient. And if your sin is greater, grace only abounds greater. And it leads all the way to this question that starts right in chapter 6, verse 1. If this is true, and the more sin I have, the greater that grace is that covers that sin, then why not sin more? And that is how Paul then goes into an argument about the necessity of sanctification wherever there is justification. And he basically says, God forbid, in the older translations, it cannot be, no way, no how, it doesn't work. But what I want you guys to see is that question doesn't come except you set forth justification as absolutely, totally free and able to cover the greatest depths of sin, no matter how sinful an individual might be. Nobody poses that question unless justification has truly been set forth as something that is entirely apart from your works and has nothing to do with what you do, what you merit, what you can offer to God at all. Not the least. Nothing you do at all. And that's how you come to a place where you ask the question, well, if it's really that free and it's really that much aside from our works, why not keep sinning? And Paul gives us a reason. It can't be. And there are reasons. We'll get to that. But that's the whole argument. Justification by faith. Set forth before us for five chapters. Yes, about two of those chapters have to do with the depravity of man, but that fits right in with the whole overall teaching here in these first five of justification by faith. You will never seek to be justified by a righteousness outside of yourself unless you first come to a place where you realize you lack that righteousness God desires and demands. You see, His gift of righteousness that is for us is not even considered a gift. It's not considered something that we want. It's not considered to be something desirable unless we first see ourselves totally undone. And... What we're doing is we're kind of camping right in the middle of this whole deal in Romans chapter 4 today, which Paul in all of his argument brings Abraham in, which I think is a very good thing and we're going to look at it right now. So, Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? Now, what he means by according to the flesh is what was gained by Abraham by what he did? What was gained by Abraham by what works he accomplished? What was gained by Abraham in anything that he did? 
He says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But you know what? It, we've already been told right in the end of the last chapter, boasting is excluded when you are justified by faith. It's excluded. But not before God. Nope. Before God, there's no boasting. Because if anybody's justified, it's not by works. By works we boast. By faith, there's no boasting. He goes on in verse 3 to say, what does the Scripture say? He's alluding back to Genesis. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift or as grace, but as his due or as debt. And to the one who does not work, but trusts Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Who are the circumcised? They're the Jews. Is this blessing only for the Jews? Or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. That's good news for us Gentiles. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Now guys, this is important. My brothers and sisters, you look at that and you say, ah, I don't really enter into this. You know what the Jews did? The Jews believed that because they were circumcised and because they were the natural offspring of Abraham, that they were justified by the sake or because of their lineage, because of their circumcision, because they had the law, they knew the law. But that's not so much different than what a lot of people do today. There's a lot of folks out there that believe that they are right with God. Now remember, saying we're right with God is another way of saying justified. Being declared acceptable by God. Lots of people out in this world believe that they are acceptable to God. Not because they've had a righteousness imputed to them from the outside by God through faith, but because of something that they believe is true about their life that warrants acceptance with God. It's true. Lots of people believe. You know something? I, I'll, I'll tell you this again. As we have gone door to door around here and people say, I'm okay, I'm okay. Why are you okay? I have yet to hear a single individual in this city tell me when we have gone door to door, I am accepted by God because of a righteousness outside of myself, because of what Jesus Christ did, because of something God has given to me. I am yet to hear that. You know what you hear? I go to church. I was baptized. I'm on the choir. 
That's what you hear. So this is a big deal. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. To who? Who's them? All that believe. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherence of the law, and really in the original it just says, of the law. If it's those who are of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. Okay? The law doesn't bring wrath because the law is bad. The law doesn't bring wrath because the law is evil. The law brings wrath because we are evil. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. Now hear what he's saying there. The promise must rest on faith because it rests on grace. It must. It must depend on faith. Otherwise, there's no guarantees. You see, it's guaranteed to all His offspring. That's what it says. There's no guarantee if it's left to our works. You know how we know that? Because there was an old covenant given, wasn't there? And it rested on what? Do this and live. And how many did it and lived? And he says, the promise rests on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, and what he's saying here is not only to the Jew, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written. Listen to this. They were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, 
who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We've been looking at the doctrine of justification. I just use the word doctrine. The word means teaching. Doctrine is teaching. Put that one away. We use that word a lot. It's, it's not some... Don't think of it as this removed concept that, that's high and lofty only the theologians can get when we talk about doctrines. All we mean is teaching. Teaching that comes forth from the Scriptures. <clears throat> what is justification, you might ask? Well, we've been looking at it a lot. Let me give you a quick answer. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. The very instant He finds true faith flowing from the heart of some individual, no matter how much sin that individual is guilty of, the Lord God Almighty instantaneously pronounces that individual perfect. In other words, God has come up with this equation. Take an individual who is guilty, vile, worthless, debased, wretched, rebellious, wicked. Take that person plus true faith. It equals a person with a perfect, righteous standing before God. That is what God has done. That is what justification is all about. It's an instantaneous. Now remember that. Instantly. The moment true faith is exercised in a person, no matter how wicked they are, that very moment, instantaneously, there is a legal act of God performed in which He declares that ungodly person to be righteous in His sight. And once that declaration of righteousness is pronounced, that person has a righteous standing forever. You don't lose it. It's not like He comes along and He pronounces it and then later it can be lost. Once God pronounces an individual righteous, it is good forevermore. That's why Romans 8.1 can say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Justification means from that instant that you believe and God declares you righteous, you will never, ever, 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 for all eternity fall under condemnation for even a single sin. Ever. Now, I, I just I throw this out. Is it relevant? You guys know that I told some of you. My wife and I, this last Wednesday, went to the Dave Ramsey seminar for pastors. It was a pastor's luncheon. Some people look at doctrine today and they believe it's irrelevant. They would, they would look at something like the doctrine of justification and say, that, that, that is irrelevant. We had a guy stand up and tell us. Well, you know, the, the churches today, the big churches, the really big ones, you know, the research has been done. The statistics are in. You look at the Barna polls. He brought that up several times. And you can see the biggest churches in this country they teach on marriage, child rearing, managing our finances. 
you're up there in that pulpit teaching us about justification when we've got problems in our marriage, we've got problems raising our children, we've got problems handling our checkbook. What right do you have up there? Folks, is it relevant for me to be able to tell some old wicked woman from off these streets been running around drinking her sin like water for 30 or 40 years come into this place? Is it relevant for me to be able to say to her, God has provided a way for you to be absolutely perfect in His sight in a moment by faith. There is nothing more relevant. And that's what Paul is dealing with here in Romans chapter 4. And this brings me to the text. I realize this. You may be here right now and you may believe, yes, there is a righteousness that comes based on the merits of Jesus Christ from outside myself and it's given to certain people. I understand the concept. I understand it's legal. I understand that this isn't something that happens in me. That's that's sanctification. Justification is God coming down with an acquittal on the sinner. A guilty sinner declared not guilty in the moment of time. I realize that. I recognize that's what justification is all about. And it doesn't happen based on my merits. It happens based on the merits of Jesus Christ. I can understand that. But you know what? If you're here and you've got all that, you've got a handle on it, I realize this. You can still look at this and say, but it's justification by faith. And I don't understand the faith end of this. I understand what's happening, but I'm concerned as I sit out here that I have the faith that's like Abraham's to save me. Because I'm not certain about that. I've got a handle on what justification means. I just don't have, have a handle on whether I have it. Because I don't have a handle on what this faith is. And that's what I want to deal with. As glorious as the doctrine of justification is, you will never experience it as glorious. You will never experience it as life-changing or hope-giving or joy-producing unless and until you come to grips with the condition of justification. As glorious the doctrine as it is, if you don't have the faith that justifies you, it can be very glorious. But you won't experience the glory of it. It will be out of your grasp. The condition of justification is faith. And I believe that Paul is going to help us here in Romans chapter 4. Let me tell you something. The Bible tells us this truth. This reality There is a faith that does not save. That's true. There is something a person can have that has a look of faith, but it certainly is not the faith that God requires if He's going to justify you. The demons believe. Not a one of them is justified. So, Your faith must be different than the faith that demons have. And we need to understand what that is. Because it's very likely that some people in this church have no more than what the demons have. That's possible. 
How can we know the difference? Every faith is not a justifying faith. How must it be different? What is the nature of saving faith? That's the issue. Sometimes our little definitions just don't really get to the heart of it. You know, well, think with me. Faith is not an easy word to define. What is faith? Um, that's when I believe something. Okay, what's believe mean? Well, that's when I have faith. You can go in circles forever. Even if we begin to bring in words like trust or confidence or reliance. Sometimes it's very difficult for us to really get a grasp. And what does it mean? If you've ever sat down and tried to explain to somebody lost what true saving faith is and try to distinguish it from what isn't true saving faith, that can be one of the most difficult conversations you will have in your life. Because they can look at you and they've got this blank stare, I'm not getting it. And you know, as I've thought about it, and as I have tried to deal with people right in this area, I have always thought, you know what the best approach is? Give an example. That's what Paul does. I just, you, you know, last week we dealt with justification. I had a lady come up to me after the message and she said that very thing to me. I don't get the faith part of this thing. I don't understand the faith. I realize what you're saying about justification, but I don't get that part of it. And I gave her an example. And I think that's key. When we give living examples of faith, we're going to come closer to the heart of the matter than if we try with all of our little definitions. Show the true thing lived out compared to that which is not true. That's what, really, that's what Paul's doing right here for us. And it's a, it's a good thing. It is a healthy thing. Okay. One. We're going to cruise through these things. I have four things here. The faith. This is the first thing I'm going to say about it. We're going to look at this faith. We're going to try to discern what his faith is. What is the nature of Abraham's faith? Because we know this, don't we? Abraham had a faith that saves. Abraham had a faith that justifies. So, that we know. We know that by God's own testimony. So it does us a lot of good to go look and view this man and see how his faith was lived out. That will help us to know if we have the same thing or whether we have a faith that falls short of this. The first thing I would say is this. The faith Abraham has is his own. Now, don't miss... The significance of this and the simplicity of the statement. The faith is Abraham's own faith. Now that's big, because when God justifies a sinner, He gives to the sinner a righteousness that is not the sinner's own. He covers our sin by a death that isn't our own, by shed blood that wasn't our own, by a propitiation that didn't come from us. There's redemption that's paid for from a price that we didn't pay. And, and with saying all those things, with saying that it, it happens outside of us, you, even the righteousness, it was purchased by an obedience that was lived out by a life that wasn't our own. You know what? In the midst of all this, we can hardly stress too much that Christ is God's answer 
to all this. It is owing to Christ. You can't love Christ too much. You can't think of Christ too much. You can't thank Christ too much in all of this. I mean, justification flows to us from everything He did, not from what we do. And yet, when you get to the end of that, it's our faith. Jesus doesn't believe for us. Neither the Father, nor the Son, nor the Holy Spirit will believe for you. Although all this other thing is done for you, your faith is your faith. Your faith must be exercised by you. Isn't this what it says in Romans 4.3? You can look right there in your Scriptures. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Yes, it's true that if you have faith, it was granted to you by God. Philippians 1.29 says that. Yes, it's true. That if you have faith, it's because the door of faith was open to you. That's what we find in Acts 14.27. Yes, it's true that if you have it, it's by grace. And it's a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 and 9. We know those things are true. But if your faith, if you have justifying faith, it's your faith. That's a reality. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for faith. If Brother Charles is going to be saved, if he's going to be justified before God, it's because Charles believes God, and it's counted to him as faith. It doesn't say Charlie over there, or Bob believed, and Abraham was justified. Is this a big thing? Oh, folks, there are, there are circles where they believe in some kind of surrogate faith. You will never get to heaven because your parents believed or because this church believed or because anybody else believed. You must have saving faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as faith. No one gets to heaven but Christians. And all Christians are believers. Lay that down. Second thing. Your faith must be like Abraham's faith. Lots of people believe and lots of people say they believe. And I'm saying they believe. They believe some facts. They do. Lots of people in this country believe a lot of things about Jesus Christ and they believe a lot of things about God and a lot of people say they are believers. But there are a lot of faiths that aren't like Abraham's. You don't need to turn here, but listen to this text. John 2:23 and 24 When Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing but Jesus on his part did not entrust or commit himself to them because he knew all men It says they believed it says Jesus did not commit himself Here you have people not who only say they believe. They're described by the Apostle John himself as having believed in Jesus' name. But this wasn't faith like Abraham's. Do you know why? Do you know how I can tell? Because we are told that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. These people's faith was counted to them as a reason for Jesus not to entrust himself to them. There's a big difference. So not all faith saves. James tells us about a dead faith. 
doesn't, again, doesn't justify. He tells us that the demons have faith. How many demons do you think will be in heaven? Not a one. You think they had faith that justified? No. Because there is a faith that does not justify. Now, here's the danger. You guys realize, as soon as we look at the Scriptures and it says this type of thing to us, and we're told, and we are told this, Romans 4.16, right at the end, the one who shares the faith of Abraham. You see that? The one who shares the faith of Abraham. I emphasize this because the only faith that justifies is a faith like that of Abraham. We must share in the same faith that he had. Now, why is that so critical? Because in a few moments, we're going to look at the faith that he had and how it worked out. And we need to use that as a measuring stick for our faith. Because the reality is, Lots of people are in hell right now who believed a lot of things about God. A lot of people are in hell right now who called themselves believers. A lot of people are in hell right now who had a dead faith or a faith no greater than what the demons have. How can we know the difference? You say, I believe in God. Well, yeah, the demons believe God is one. But that doesn't justify them. Yes, There are a lot of people in hell right now who believe Jesus Christ died for sinners and who believe that He rose from the dead. Lots of people in hell right now. Preachers who stood in pulpits and preached that. How in the world can we know the true thing from the false thing? How can we know a devil's faith? How can we know a dead faith? How can we know the faith described as belonging to these people in John chapter 2 from the faith that Abraham had? Well, we better go to Scripture and find out the answer to that. Well, that now brings me to the third thing. And we're going to get there. We're going to look at his in just a second. But the third thing, now hear this. Faith, like Abraham's, is the instrument of our justification, not the basis of it. Now that's important to say. Because you know when you read things like faith counted For righteousness, you can begin to look at the faith as though it has some great value. What I want you to understand is it's the instrument of our justification, not the basis of it. Scripture says, now listen to me, we are justified by faith. Romans 5.1 Scripture says faith is counted as righteousness. Romans 4.5 Both statements are absolutely true. And I don't take away from that at all. But Scripture never says that we are justified because of the inherent goodness or worth of our faith. As if our faith has merit before God. The Bible never allows us to think that our faith in itself earns favor with God. Rather, Scripture teaches us over and over That faith is the means by which we get justification. Now, some of you are saying, I don't know what this means. What's the difference? What's the issue? Here's the issue. 
when I go before God with faith like Abraham's, God doesn't look at me and say, I accept you based on the merit of that faith. He looks at the believer and He says, I accept you based on the merit of Christ's death, Christ's life, Christ's work, Christ's obedience. How do we know that? Because Scripture tells us that. Listen to Romans 3.23 and following. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. How? By His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. How are we justified? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's your merit. There's your basis. Again, Romans 5.9 Since therefore we have been justified by His blood. What's the basis? The blood of Jesus Christ. His shed blood. His death. His suffering. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no remission based on faith alone without the shedding of blood. You guys, this is, this is not a small matter. Yes, it's, it's, there's some doctrinal depth to this, but we need to understand. I don't want this church to be shallow in this area. You don't want to go around thinking I have something to boast in in my faith. You have nothing to boast in. Your faith attaches you to Jesus Christ. That's where your boasting is. We boast in the Lord, not in our faith. The faith has no inherent value. No inher- You say, brother, I know in Scripture it talks about our precious faith. The only thing that makes your precious faith precious is the fact that it attaches you to the precious Lord Jesus Christ and the precious work He did. There's no preciousness outside of that. None whatsoever. None. Why? That's the, that's the question I want to ask you. Why is it faith that God uses to attach us to this meritorious work of Jesus Christ? Why faith? Have you ever thought about that? Couldn't God have said, well, I'm going to give justification to the person who loves or to the person who has joy or the person who's wise or the person who's humble or the person who's meek? Why would we imagine that it comes down to faith? Well, faith, if you look at Romans 4.16, it says that is why it depends on faith. Why? In order that the promise may rest on grace. You know what our faith is the one attitude of heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. When we come to Christ in faith, we essentially say, Lord, I give up. Isn't it, If you were ever truly saved, that's where you came to. You came to the place where in faith you came to Christ with nothing left in yourself and you said, Lord... Just the same words Connie and I both spoke. Lord, help me. Faith is a total abandonment of your own 
work. I will not depend on myself or on my good works any longer. Lord, I see them as nothing. I'm going to depend completely on You to give me a righteous standing before God. And it's in that way that our faith is the exact opposite of trusting in ourselves. Therefore, it is that one attitude of heart that perfectly fits salvation that depends not on us. Because the reality is it doesn't depend on us. You see, what, what faith is, is it's the attitude that accepts the reality. That I can't do this. And it totally looks to the grace of God. You might want to notice just one other thing before I get to my last point. Because I really want to emphasize to each one of us that true saving faith, a faith like Abraham's, as necessary as it might be, is only the way to be justified. It is the agent, the channel, the mechanism, the path. It's not the worth. It's not the value. It's not the excellence behind our justification. Romans 4.25 says... Maybe Freddie caught this because he loves the resurrection. Romans 4.25 says, He, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses. And listen to this. Raised for our justification. Now, somebody might come along right now and say, Raised for our justification? I thought by His blood we were justified. I thought... I, know, I just heard words about Him being a propitiation. I just heard... Things about um, you know his righteousness, his obedience being the cause of my justification. How in the world is it now his resurrection? I would just ask you this: In Romans four twenty five, does anything here imply that my faith is the value and substance behind my justification, or does it rather? Proclaim a full and sufficient payment was made for me by Jesus Christ. Folks, the later is the truth. What does the resurrection or Jesus being raised have to do with our justification? Everything. Do you know what the justification or do you know what do you know what the resurrection was? The resurrection was testimony that death could not hold. Jesus Christ. Now, why could not death hold Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. Because what took Him to the grave was our sin. He had none of His own. If Jesus Christ fully, adequately, sufficiently paid for every single sin of every one of His people, it was paid. It is finished. And if it's finished, death can't hold Him. It can't. Because the wages of sin is death. And once it's perfectly paid for, death can't hold Him. Do you know what His resurrection says to you and me? It says God is satisfied. Every single thing that was needed to work out my justification and your justification was achieved perfectly. And if it wasn't, the grave would have held Him. Because when He got done, and it was paid, and it was done, it was sufficient, it was all over, the grave said, I cannot hold Him. I must let him go. And what that resurrection says is when I come to him in faith and I'm justified, that resurrection proves to me I have sufficient basis to 
throw my all on top of to trust in Jesus Christ. Well, this brings me to the end. What is Abraham's faith? I mean, if that's the faith we have to have, if that's the only one that saves, boy, what does this look like? I have to share it. Romans 4.16 says, I must be a sharer. I must be a partaker of the faith of Abraham. We must have the same. The first thing I'll say about this, and listen to me very carefully with this, Abraham believed God. That's what we're told. You see that? Romans 4.3 Abraham believed God. It does not say Abraham believed in God. Now that's, that's right. We need to believe in God. We need, didn't Christ Himself say, have faith in God? He did. But there's a difference here. And later it does say to us, in whom He believed. That's right. That's true. That's scriptural. We need to do that. But I fear that there is largely a loss of understanding in our culture about what faith in God means. To the average person around us, it doesn't mean what it means in Scripture. That's why I emphasize this. Scripture says not only believe in God, it says He believed God. You know, we have it stamped. In God we trust. When I was lost, my understanding of faith was this. I believe that God is real. That's not believing God. There's a huge difference. The devils believe that there is a God. Believing God and believing in God are different, folks, in the mind of people today. Recognize that. What did Abraham believe? When it says he believed God, right away we should automatically assume that God said something to Abraham. You don't believe somebody unless they've said something that you either believe or don't believe. The very fact that he believed presupposes the fact that God spoke. And we see that as you come through uh, 4.18 and following, you find that there was a promise given. It speaks about that before that. A promise. There's promises that were given. I want you guys to understand this because this is so critical. True, genuine, saving faith is not just believing that Jesus Christ died and rose again. That can almost sound like heresy. But I want you guys to hear where I'm going with that. What faith in God does is it rests in the accomplished work of Christ done in the past for things that are yet future. That's what faith is. Faith isn't looking simply, not consists of this, but faith is not fully and finally just looking back at something done in the past. 
That's not what's happening with Abraham here. The promise was given in the past. And for us, all the redemptive work of Christ was done in the past. But where faith shows itself is not just saying I believe some historical past fact. Faith works now. It works now trusting God in all those promises and all that work in the past to work out in my future what God has promised. That's the reality. Look at Abraham. The promise was given. Here's what he stuck. The promise, two promises. One from Genesis 15, one from Genesis 17. What were those promises? You'll be the father of many nations. You know God changed His name, right? He was Abram. Now He's Abraham. You're going to be the father of multitudes, literally. Okay, I'm a hundred years old. My wife is barren. She's not barren. She never had a child. She's 90 years old. I tried with Hagar. My wife and I put our heads together. We tried to come up with our own resources here. And we had this son, Ishmael. You're telling me that the promised son isn't going to come from Ishmael. That's not how the promise comes. You've told me these things. And what does it say? He had hope. (laughs) He had hope, folks, where there wasn't a hope. What it means there is all circumstances said, no hope, Abraham, no hope. But we're told he believed. Despite all the circumstances, he held tightly to that promise. What was the promise? promise from the past. But his faith, the saving faith showed itself in how he lived his life at the present in expectation of what was to come. This is what I want to really urge upon you guys. Faith in Jesus Christ does not mean I believe Jesus Christ died for sin or even I believe He died for my sin. Only. It includes that. It is saying this, Lord, I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I believe that in that death, in what He has done, it has ratified for a certainty the promises of all of Scripture. They are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. I believe that based on the death of Jesus Christ, I now live day by day trusting that my God shall supply all my needs. I trust that this God of mine will never forsake me, never leave me, that He will uphold me with the right hand of His righteousness. He will be my helper. He will be my stay. He will be there. When the day of judgment comes, there will be no condemnation. I stand on that. I live by that. That I can give away all my riches. I can give away all my finances. And He will supply my every need. I look at the promises of Scripture and I rest my soul there. I live on that. And you know what happens? That, we are told here, brought God glory. The only thing you and I can do with our lives to bring God any bit of glory is to live by faith. Do you know that? Whatsoever is not faith is sin. Whatever is sin, it doesn't bring God glory. God looks at our lives and everything that is done by faith is acceptable. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You ever read that one before? 
Our life right now is a life where we hinge everything. We bank everything on the death, the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything. You throw everything in the pot when you come to Christ. Everything. That's why he says, unless you forsake all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Why? Because there's a reservation in your faith if that happens. If you hold anything back, there's a reservation in your faith. It's all of it. This woman that came to me this last week, the example I gave her is I said, suppose somebody threw a line from the top of that building up there over to the top of this building. And I went out there and I took one of those long, tight rope walker bars and I walked across there. And then I went back up there again and I took a wheelbarrow without the pole this time, just with a wheelbarrow in my hands, with the front tire all balanced on that rope, I walked across there. And then I came to this lady and I said, do you believe I can do that? She said, of course I believe you can do that. Jump in the wheelbarrow. And you see, that's where the issue is. That's really where it is. By faith, Abraham left the comforts of his home country, his family, and went to a land he did not know. By faith, God told him, you will be the father of nations. The promise was in Isaac, but Isaac wasn't there. And by all human feasibility, he couldn't come. But his faith wasn't moved because he believed that this, you notice it says in that text, he believed that God was a God that can bring something from nothing. If God can bring the earth out of nothing, can He bring a child from an old couple? He believed and He didn't waver. By faith, Noah builds an ark. Now, some speculate there had never even been rain. He's building an ark out in the middle of a place where there's no ocean. It's not raining. It's not storming. The storm clouds aren't on the horizon. Can you imagine the people that mocked and scoffed? By faith, he held on with that. By faith. Think about David going out to face a giant. By faith, he goes out to face that giant. Gideon, you take 300 men and you go conquer an uncountable number of Midianites. By faith, he conquered. By faith, David went out there. By faith, Abraham trusted in this promise and stayed steadfast. By faith, Noah built that ark. You folks, realize there are some people in this church that give 20 to 30% of their income. They do that by faith. You know how they do that? They believe that God is going to bring, by the merits of Jesus Christ, supply all their need tomorrow for what they give up today. They take God at His Word who says, My God shall supply all your need through Jesus Christ according to His riches and through Christ Jesus. They believe that. They take that to heart. They believe it. They go forth with it. It's not just that they think Jesus Christ died for sinners. It's not just that they believe He rose from the dead. They believe that in that 
sacrifice, it is sufficient to have purchased everything they need for tomorrow. And they bank their lives on those promises. By faith, we came here to the inner city believing that God would raise up a church. By faith, Matt and Priscilla moved to the east side to come to where there was a great need. By faith, folks, by faith, I left engineering to come into this position. And I believe God would take care of my family and I. By faith, we have come together as a church and decided to give an amount of money to our missionaries that over and above anything we've ever imagined before. By faith, we believe that through this year, God is going to give us what we need to pay that off. And to meet every single commitment. By faith, folks. By faith. I'm able to live without retirement, without insurance. By faith, I trust that God is going to take care of those needs. By faith. This is the heart of the matter. This is the heart of the matter. You know one of the reasons that Scripture says so much about money is because our faith ties right in there. Money is security. Possessions are security. Riches and wealth, they're security. True faith can say, Jesus Christ said, store up my treasures in heaven. And I can detach myself from those things and cast myself out there and trust that God will be my support. That He will be my strong power. That He will be my provider. We can preach about Jehovah Jireh. But true faith takes that name for all it's worth. You see, this is the difference between the faith that justifies and the faith that does not justify. Faith steps out when all the circumstances say, don't do this. When all the pundits say, don't do that. When all logic and reason says this can't happen. And humanly speaking, it won't happen. People will look at us and they will say, you are foolish. This is crazy. This is unwise. Unbelief. That's, that's what's talking. It will come from other people who profess to be Christians. It will come from all sorts of people who desire to do you good and to warn you. And they won't understand. Because people that don't have true faith don't understand. They don't understand the ability for a person to trust in what they can't see and even what they've never seen. Noah never saw a flood in his life. Neither had anybody else. But God told him, you build this ark because one's coming. And he believed. And there's a day of judgment coming. And those of us that believe it, there's a day when we will have our works rewarded, examined. There is a day when for all you've done, you will reap what you've sowed. If you believe those promises, you will plant your life on it. You will live according to it. That's what Abraham had. That's what Abraham did. It's not enough just to say, I believe Jesus Christ died and rose again. That isn't faith necessarily. 
the faith takes that for all that it's worth in your life today and tomorrow. I wish I could say it better. Lord, we delight when we see that type of faith worked out. Lord, I delight to hear of occasions when people leave jobs so they don't have to work on Sundays. When they give away all their savings or all their retirement to aid the furtherance of the Gospel. When they give up the security and luxuries of a place removed from the city. Lord, when, when men and women are able to commit their all and to make radical changes and radical sacrifices because they have this true faith. Lord, we pray that You would not allow us to be content. We pray that You would purge out and make visible where the faith falls short of what Abraham's faith was. I know there's much more that could be said for it. Lord, I want this, Lord, I want this church to have a faith that's to Your glory. May we live by faith. May we go out further. Lord, our eyes are set upon You. We have, Lord. We doubled what we give to James Dolly. We doubled what we give to Andy Hamilton. Lord, this church gave me a tremendous raise this year. Father, our eyes are cast upon You. A trip coming up worth... Lord, it's going to take a lot of the finances of this church and we've got various endeavors that are set before us. Father, our eyes are set upon You. We came to this inner city trusting that You would be our stronghold. You would be our salvation. That You would pour down righteousness from above. Our eyes are set upon You. Father, our hope is in You to convert the prostitute, convert the drug addict, build together a church here made up of a lot of people who right now are in all their cesspool of their sin and and out there licking up vomit like a dog. Lord, we pray You would so radically... Our faith is in You to do this, Lord. Our faith is in You to plant a church. By faith, John Wheeler joins this church. Who, Lord, a church with so little resources. By faith, we took Him on. By faith, we all looked together to see a church established in, in, in Turkey. And Lord, by faith, we look to You to raise up some of those Tibetan children over there in China to go back and forth to their country. By faith, we look at You, Lord, to do a work over in northeast India through the hands of John and Pat. Lord, these things are by faith. By faith, we started a new church. By faith, we came to the south side. By faith, Freddie wanted to start a Bible study. By faith, we are here now. By faith, Charles left free grace and the comforts of there and came here. By faith, Stormy came with him. By faith, Papa came. By faith, others have come. Lord, we look to You. We have, we have invested our life upon the truth that Christ has died for us sufficiently as is indicated by the resurrection, given a payment, a ransom that is perfect, sufficient for our justification, purchased all the promises, all the blessings that are had in our God, purchased them for us. We have the standing of righteousness accepted as children of God. And Lord, it's by faith we look to You. Lord, we look to You. And where there are those that don't, Lord, may You impart that faith that would cause them to do so. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.